Hi folks, it's your host W. Curtis Preston and I wanted to give you some great news. Druva liked my latest O'Reilly book enough to sponsor it and you can get a free copy by just going to druva.com slash podcast. Hope you like it. This week on No Hardware Required, we're talking about how companies have adapted to the pandemic. My guests are Stephen Manley, our CTO, and Russ Cantwell, the CTO of SHI. Thanks for listening. Hi, and welcome to No Hardware Required. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me my co-host, Stephen Manley, our CTO. How's it going, Stephen? Oh, man, we're one day past DXP, and I feel great. <laughs> Yeah, DXP. That's our virtual our virtual user conference, right? That we had was, was that that wasn't just yesterday, was it? It, seems like. <laughs> it really was. But of course, for anybody that uh, wasn't able to attend, available on demand uh, online that is right. whenever you want at dxp.druva.com. You know, as you know, I spent most of my career at sort of end user and sort of that kind of is my first vendor. So this is my first time on this side of a vendor uh, trade show. So that was. Um, uh, and of course, it was it had to be done virtually in the pandemic. But yes, yeah, so literally everything we did is available on demand. Uh, we had a lot of great keynotes as well as breakouts that tell you all about the various things we do. We we had a lot of customers, including some really big names like uh, Zoom and uh, Regeneron, and you know, and a number of partners spoke as well. And it, it, you had a couple of presentations yourself, right? I did. I talked uh, talked a little bit about NAS. Talked uh, it was a little bit of the the keynote. So, yeah, if 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 you listen to the podcast and you think, man, I'd really love to hate how he looks when he talks, not just how he talks. <laughs> this is a great opportunity for you to check that out. For fans of my other podcast, my uh, my co-host on the other podcast, Prasanna Maliandi, he has also presentations, so you can see what he looks like as well. We have another guest with us this week. He has been in IT, you know, if you looked at his LinkedIn page, you would think it's only 12 or 13 years, but he mentioned to me that he actually configured his first SQL cluster when he was 14 years old, which that just is amazing to me. But uh, he is now the CTO of SHI International. Welcome to the podcast, Russ Cantwell. Thanks for having me. And I got to say, I need a I need a cool nickname like Mister Backup. I don't think I have anything <laughs> like that that can that has ever been attached to me. So I I'm envious uh, of that opener. It's been attached to me long enough that I don't remember if I made it up or if someone else made it up. <laughs> I, I know that once it took hold, I definitely said, "All right, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna brand this and I'm gonna make that part of my part of my shtick." Because I I actually started my first blog, are you ready for this? In 1999, back before we had the word blog, I'm there pretty sure. Go. That's when Russ was 14 and setting up his yeah, uh, SQL that's right. <laughs> That's when yeah. I was doing it. Oh, that's, yeah, that's just crazy. But uh, yeah, so uh, so t why don't you give us uh, just a, a you know bird's eye view of what SHI is? Sure. Yeah. So uh, SHI, if you're not familiar with us, uh, we are in the partner ecosystem. So a partner to Druva. We are a, an international reseller and, and consultancy firm. So we help customers select, deploy, manage technology. We also consult on sort of organizational processes and how you can better uh, adopt sort of governance models on how to you know run things like public cloud infrastructure, DevOps, et cetera. So it's a 
multifaceted business. It's female minority owned, actually the the largest company that is female and minority owned inside the United States. Yeah, Ty Lee is our uh, sole proprietor and she has been since 1989, continues to lead us to this day. And she just continues to reinvest in the business. It's complete. It's a privately held company. She continues to to run it extremely well and efficiently and just takes money and re-pours it back in whenever she has an opportunity. And so we have evolved from sort of this software licensing manager, uh, you know, that was kind of our, our primary business in the 90s, to really doing all different facets of IT at this point. It's pretty remarkable over the last 30 years what she's done. Uh, good for you and good for her. So I, I, I thought one of the things we would talk about... <laughs> Sort of all anybody's talking about these days, and that's the pandemic. You know, we 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 just had our you know the the user conference DXP that we ha- we had to do completely virtual, but that's how everybody's doing everything. In fact, you have your virtual conference coming up December second. I do. So we have we have a, a couple different virtual conferences. So we call them summits. They're they're customer summits, and traditionally, what we would do, much like everyone else, is we would hold these in person. Uh, our main headquarters is in New Jersey, and so we would we would fly people up to New Jersey, and we'd all get together in in a nice big room and or a bunch of smaller rooms, and go through these sessions. Uh, much like Steve and I usually have several different sessions, we have broken these up into more virtual sessions now. So uh, one or two day events that we'll do uh, a couple times throughout the different seasons. So in the fall here, we've actually done two, and we're getting ready to do our third. I've had sessions in the prior two. Uh, around hybrid cloud and automation, as well as transitioning from uh, CapEx to OpEx on-premises, as that's been mm-hmm. an interesting change that people are going through right now as well. And so this one will largely be driven a lot by uh, security-related topics uh, for this next one that we're going into. Gotcha. So- Speaking of hot topics, pandemic and security, man, you can't escape those two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, so- Absolutely. What, how, how have, so since you are this company that is both selling people things as well as helping them figure out how to use them, what have they been talking to you? Everybody's had to adapt to this pandemic in some way. How are companies adapting to this pandemic that, that, that you've been talking to? Sure. Yeah, I will tell you that, ironically, the one of the top things, and we have a customer advisory board, so we, we basically just provide a platform for our customers to talk with each other and to share things. One thing that people have been working with, and it's very difficult, is actually the human element. So before we get to technology, we've just, people sharing that they're all going through similar types of struggles has actually been sort of therapeutic for a lot of our customers as they realize that we all have these challenges and we're all working through them together. So it's been really good for us as somewhat of an aggregator of all of these conversations to be able to share those you know trials and tribulations and how people are getting through it and so they they're all going through a couple different phases you know one of them that's pretty common and it ties into the security side is it's just employee access so if you are in a position where you are able to work from home it becomes a okay well what do I do? Do I get more VPN? Do I shed VPN entirely? How do I augment if I don't have uh, enough capacity in order to support all of my users through the VPN? That was that was very common for the first few months. And I think we've largely gotten around that for the most part. We've seen some move away from VPN and move to leveraging uh, more proxy-based approaches. Or in particular, you know, we'll see split tunneling be used, which I know can be sort of a taboo subject, uh, especially from a security perspective. Uh, but the number one thing I saw people do was just stop using VPN to access things like web apps. 
right? So let the open internet go out and, and access the, the web apps that they have hosted in SaaS providers, SaaS providers, much like Druva. And so that's, that's been something I've seen a lot of change in is just how do we in the near term make it to where our users can easily access the services that the business needs to run. And then they're shoring up things after the fact. So first phase was get connectivity. The second phase we went through was really about making sure the security posture was really, really well done. And, and now we're kind of moving into this stage of, okay, we think we've figured this out. We think we know how to work. We've been pretty successful. The businesses have solidified in a way that they're like, it's, it's time for us to start considering investment back in. How do we create net new lines of revenue? We're working different. So what different things can we offer? Or how do we become more efficient in that way? And one thing Stephen and I had, had discussed a little bit earlier was this idea of data. I'm being pulled into more and more projects around customers' data and, and how they can not just manage it, but how they can utilize it. And it's interesting because this has been something that if you would have asked me over the last, I don't know, six or seven years was a very prevalent conversation, but very few people were doing it. I, I think what happened here is, is with the pandemic, people realized, well, what assets do we already have that we can continue to re-leverage in a different way, either to do something new or to do something better? And starting with the data was just the lowest hanging fruit that we could come up with. And so we're seeing customers who are either needing help in understanding and restructuring data for different purposes. Power BI is becoming very, very instrumental to a lot of people who want to gain insights to the business. So we're helping them structure that and feed it into it. Or maybe you need to move data systems from one area to the next. Lots of public cloud growth uh, during this time. And so we're helping a lot of customers to either move, place, restructure, consume, whatever it might be data-related projects, which, you know, these same customers a year ago weren't even considering. It's funny that you mentioned Power BI because our previous podcast guest, so she's a Microsoft 365 expert, and there was a running joke of how long she would talk before she brought up Power BI. <laughs> she would be very excited to hear that you mentioned that. Well, we're on the same page, her and I. To go back to the, the first part, you, you mentioned about how the people that were using traditional apps had to figure out a VPN and then they, they migrated to uh, web apps. Ha, has that generated a, a do you think a, a massive shift? Ha, have people moved many traditional apps into the cloud so that they, they can be more COVID friendly? Sure. And, and so I should clarify, I guess it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily moving from traditional apps to web apps, although that is definitely something we're considering. And in fact, we're seeing a lot of, inquiries around different ways to go and, and manage a development lifecycle for any custom-made applications that a, that a company may do so that they can re-platform the different areas. But I was more hinting at the idea of the traditional way that we accessed you know, web apps, SaaS-based applications, uh, very common ones that you see. I mean, O365 is, has to be the most ubiquitous, is that they were going through this idea of accessing anything that would be a web app going running through their data center. So they needed to go traditionally the only way they could access it was if they were in the office. So when you go external to the office, what do you do? You set up a VPN so it's like you're in the office and everything traverses there and sort of hairpins uh, sort of in an awkward way and creates a pretty bad user experience. We we actually see this same sort of phenomena in uh, VDI which has been huge. Uh, so VDI inside of the public cloud has been more and more prevalent now 
than ever before because they need that geographic dispersion. That geographic dispersion doesn't help you at all if you send all of your traffic through a data center. <laughs> you know? yeah. And so that that's the type of behavior that we've seen shift is the way we access the application has shifted from, well, I need to send everything through a VPN and I need to go through a data center to almost like a hub and spoke type of model where maybe they still do want to go through some form of secured access area and use a proxy, but it's more distributed. You know, uh, an example of that would be like Zscaler. They might be able to provide additional ways to, to get access to things other than using just VPN and running through your own centralized data center, which really isn't helping anything from a user experience perspective. And that's what we're trying to to manage here. I mean, quite frankly, if you think about the constraints that we've dealt with in our industry for years, in particular around data, it's usually been around core infrastructure pieces like storage and whatever else. Well, those constraints have largely, infrastructure-related constraints have largely sort of gone away for, for most customers. Obviously, there are outliers where that statement is not true. What the constraint we deal with now, especially in a time of rapid changes, is developer productivity. That same thing is important to recognize within all areas of the business and just say employee productivity. So all of these changes, all of these uh, process improvements or technological adoptions are here to enable a more productive employee, whether that is a developer, an IT person, uh, just any you know financial person inside of the company. That's what they were trying to figure out. How do I make my employees productive from home? And the user access paradigm that they had originally was not set up to do that. So they had to make a shift and they had to do it quickly. Do, do you, well, I mean, certainly one of the things that, that we see, uh, say, purely on the data protection side is because data is now more dispersed, you know, the, the small data sprawl, if you will, where data is in Microsoft 365 and it's in the cloud and it's in, it, we, we've seen sort of an acceptance or a realization from data protection teams that, yeah, there's no fighting it, right? Uh, I, I I need to adapt to to wherever this lives. I mean, it almost sounds like you know, are are we seeing the security teams start to to sort of make that same pivot then, or do you think they've already made the pivot, or you know, wh where do you think they stand on that? Because security is often sort of the the last one to switch because you know for yeah. justifiable reasons, you know, that they're 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 you know like backup, they're kind of one of the last lines of defense. Sure. And, and I'm not going to sit here and say that security has gotten more flexible because I think that that, <laughs> that that would probably be a non sequitur for the conversation. But what I will say is that there are more options. There are different approaches and methods that have become available uh, to security administrators in general. You know, we have these rules and processes and best practices that we develop over decades that are really, they're, they're defined within the constraints that we are given at that point in time. We are now given a different, you know, amount of constraints, a different line of constraints that we have to work within whenever we are working in a distributed workforce as opposed to a centralized workforce. And the security team probably has the most concerns here, but they also know that they have the absolute most that they need to get done in order to ensure these things are not only capable of being delivered for the end user, but also just that they're done safely. So it's just much like everyone else. You know, we see companies that are traditionally not really a remote workforce type of company that had to adapt to survive. And the security teams are no different. And, and quite frankly, I think that the, I don't know, what you, the stigma that they get uh, of not moving very quickly is because they 
they they have to overanalyze things. It's the nature of what they do, right? And I think in this particular scenario, they made the jump early. Like I said, a lot of customers moved to immediately doing split tunneling or immediately going straight to a web application that was hosted in a SaaS provider. So that gave them a time frame. Mm-hmm. It basically said, okay, we've already moved because we had to improve the user experience. So the security team no longer had the, I guess you would say, privilege to be able to sit around and overanalyze things. They had to move. They had to start making changes. And that's exactly what we saw them do. I mean, I, I can tell you that we've seen heroic efforts uh, from a lot of the security teams that we've worked with. We've also seen some some negative ones where uh, things just didn't didn't go well. We've seen dev test workloads running in the cloud that ended up, you know, they were supposed to be deleted. They were not. They were given certain permissions to run the tests. There were problems, oversights there because of a lack of experience. So it goes both ways. But yeah, I think they were forced to move because the the market and the user behavior changed. It's been a while since I've had to work in a you know a real data center. I wasn't aware that companies were requiring people, you know, that that they were configuring their apps in such a way, like with a web app that they needed to be in the data center or in a VPN situation because in order to use a third-party web-based app, I guess I don't quite understand unless there is a VPN from you to Microsoft. I don't understand what that what that accomplished from a security perspective. Uh, you, you and I both, um, to be completely honest, uh, but that is just, it's it's something that is left around from a, from a long time, right? We, we've used VPNs for years. Uh, in order to just uh, maybe make people feel better. I mean, think about it like this. I still see a lot of customers who are using VPN for general email access, even when they're using O365. So it, it happens just because of this is what we do and this is how we've always done it. And, and I'm mm-hmm. not even going to sit here and say there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I'll even tell you this. Whenever you're an armchair quarterback, which you know, as a consultancy for- firm, lots of times we are, I do like to remind our SEs, you should never overanalyze or think too much about the decision that you're trying to help undo for a customer. Cause that's usually what you're doing because we were not there whenever they had to make the decision. We didn't work within the confines they had to, that they had to, whenever they made said decision. And so you, you don't always pick whatever it is, your, whatever technology you're going to use or whatever process you're going to implement based on it being the absolute best thing. You do it based on what you can do best in that circumstance. And we don't always get the context of that circumstance as to why someone would implement something. And so I'm always very sensitive to that when I'm working with customers. Not being overly critical over, over what they're currently doing and just say, Hey, let's, let's pick the best thing for this situation now. Absolutely. Just move it forward. It, it really doesn't help anyone. And quite frankly, a lot of the times, the people who you're speaking with, they inherited whatever they got before. They, they can't even explain to you the context of how they got it. I did a lot of backup consulting over the years. And the number of times where I had conversations that were essentially like, why are all the tapes stored in a triangle box? I don't know. It's just, it's just, that's the way we've always done it. Well, so you're looking at this customer as a triangle box and and, and you're like, but you should have a, you should have a rectangular box and you have to take, you have to take a moment and ask yourself, is the triangle box doing any actual damage to their security or backup posture? And, and if the answer is no, then just let them have the triangle box and move on. <laughs> This is is one of the things that I learned, you know, unless you're like, well, because you're having a triangle box, it's setting your data center on fire, then we need to have an argument, right? I I think that's another way to say what you were saying as well. Yeah, absolutely. If you love your triangle box and it's working, keep your triangle box. Yeah, just... 
just just move on and and go 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 solve other problems. Uh, so I understand that. I guess the only other question I've got, Russ, and and maybe this is too vague, but but one of the things that I hear from security people sometimes is 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 this notion that in the security industry we are shifting away from you know sort of playing defense on the environment to much more of a data centric data focused security and 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 I don't know if if you talk to people how they're doing that because because I, I these people say this to me and they go yeah hey, we're 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 like you know we're we're our security is data focused like, what does that mean you're doing well we focus on the data but what are you actually doing differently? It's the data. I'm like, okay, I can say those words too. I mean, are are there are there best practices, steps? Are you seeing people do clever things there? Help. So it's a great question because I haven't heard it framed under that under that context. But I can tell you, and so I'm going to take a stab at this, even though I don't know that I'm I'm in the right area, because I I have seen a shift in the way. Uh, security is done in a couple different ways. And so if you think of like the software development process, security has changed pretty much dramatically there. Uh, we used to basically just wrap security around the team that was doing the the process, or we would, after the fact, make sure that whatever environment something was deployed into, that it would, that it would be secure. We have security and testing sort of intrinsically designed into the applications and then by extension, the data they access by nature. So you're seeing different different development processes or different testing and integration processes build security into it. And by the way, security is not always a firewall or an antivirus product. It, security oftentimes is a configuration paradigm or a deployment paradigm. Like, how do you do this? How what is the access like in that regard? And so, a lot of a lot of this intelligence is built into the applications. Now, I don't know whenever someone says we're focusing on the data if that's what they mean. Uh, but I can tell you that the application layer, and this might be the former software developer in me, that that, that portion is always going to have to interact with the, with the data. And we are moving to where practices, security, testing is done in real time with the applications, with the development. You see this in CI, CD pipelines, which is, I, I would say, all the rage. I want to say more people are doing that now than they were a couple of years ago. And so that might be what they're referring to. But outside of that, I honestly couldn't tell you. <laughs> your guess is as good as mine i i buy that and and, and i think i think it, it it dovetails nicely with uh with i think one of the things we're even seeing on the data protection side which is people shifting more and more away from we'll back up these bits back up these servers to again more of an application centric even on the backup side right so oh, i think yes that I think we're getting a lot more of a focus on yeah, that's really the thing we need to secure. That's the thing we need to protect. That's the thing that we need to again enhance developer productivity. Let's let's think about that as opposed to, you know, raid groups and firewalls and those sorts of things. So I think, yeah, Stephen, I think one of the reasons for that is that the underlying infrastructure has gotten so reliable mm -hmm. because of virtualization, because of RAID, because of erasure coding and snapshots and, you know, all of those things, the underlying infrastructure has gotten so reliable that maybe now we can stop thinking so much about protecting the infrastructure, focus a little bit more on protecting the data. So maybe that's what they meant. I don't know. Uh, I'll do you one further. The, so so in 2002, GSX became ESXi. As we moved past that, we started abstracting different areas. And we've been abstracting the server environment, you know, well for the last 18 years. 
we are starting to abstract all sorts of different areas of what we do. We abstract hardware failures out. We build resiliency further up the stack. So as time has gone on and we have different levels of, of abstraction, we move further and further up the stack, which means we are inherently moving a little further from the infrastructure itself. And so I, I like to define these things like this. And this, this can apply to infrastructure as well. And I do talk about it often, but it is we're moving away from an era where we design things to avoid failure. So meaning you throw a lot of stuff at it, a lot of redundancy and just sort of hope that whenever something fails, the other thing picks it up. We're moving to a point to where, and I maybe could argue we're even there today, to where you assume failure will happen in whatever level uh, or layer of your infrastructure is at. But when it does happen, you will handle it gracefully. And that, that difference in approach to the way failure scenarios are handled at all different layers of the infrastructure dramatically shifts what your expectation is of hardware or even what your expectation is of a failure. And so while the resiliency and the math ultimately maybe hasn't changed over time, we have approached it very differently. And so the user experience at the end of the day is dramatically different. And, and that's what makes it seem like... Erasure coding is great and, and RAID is great. And we have distributed systems that help kind of reduce the impact of failure. And all of that stuff is an abstraction to the math problem that we've been dealing with this whole time, which is how long can we keep availability going of this thing that we need to access? And I got to say, this this seems like a really good teaser for our next podcast. I agree. I think that that is a perfect teaser for our next podcast, which will be in a couple of weeks, where we're going to talk about this new thing. I don't know if anybody's heard of it, but it's it's called Kubernetes. So with that, I want to thank Russ for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the time. It's a good conversation. And of course, uh, thank you as well, Stephen. Thanks to the listeners. And uh, make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. And remember here at Druva, there is always no hardware required. <laughs>